0: Listener Production.
1: Okay, are you recording?
2: Righto, here we go. Episode 187 of the Howie Games, Part A, featuring an incredible cricketer, an English hero, an Australian nemesis. I'm loving that this chap agreed to come on the show. His name is Stuart Broad, and he is a gun. That's out. Don't worry about that. That's a full-length delivery and Broad's got five for for England. My goodness me, the crowd are up. Australia in total disarray. Stuart, as expected, has played a big part in the 2023 Ashes. Wickets. <laughs>
0: The swing from Broad, he talks about trying the out-swinger to Labashane and Smith, he's produced one and has got Labashane first ball. Courageous innings
2: when he's been peppered by the Aussie quicks. Oh, that's got him. Well, it's all happening. That one's hit the helmet. And an involvement in controversy.
0: Ooh, oh, that's a nasty ball. He's played it pretty well, actually, in the end, Broad, who with a great show and display, keeps his bat in the crease and says to Australia, is the ball dead?
2: So in my time watching cricket, I have hazy memories back in the day of Ian Botham, episode 113, now a Lord destroying the Aussies and breaking my young heart, breaking it, of Freddie Flintoff, Vaughanee, episode 73, and KP, episode 22, taking the ashes in 2005. I was a bit older thinking, hmm, Okay, hurts, but they were probably just too good. And then Stuart Broad delivering in the biggest moments with some absolutely withering spells, and me older again admiring him and thinking, gee, sacrilegious as this may sound, gee, I wish Stuart Broad was on our side. He is so good. It's with these legends of Ashes cricket that Stuart now sits comfortably, and that for so many Aussies over so many years, he has been public enemy number one because deep down you know. Stuart Broad has the ability to destroy your team. Conversely, it is why he is a god for fans of England.
1: So you search and try to find But you don't know where to go So many thoughts flood through your mind You're confused and want to know Mystery, what is to be So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key Find out
2: by and by Statistically, Stuart's record is incredible. The fifth most wickets of all time. Fifth. Three spinners and only one quick ahead of him on that list. That quick is great mate Jimmy Anderson, who, by the way, also featured on the pod way back on episode 142. Broadie is in the top ten for total tests ever played with eight batsmen and only one other bowler. You guessed it, his mate Jimmy again. But more than the numbers, Stuart Broad is a heart and soul man, a man that can lift the crowd, can lift his team, and swing the momentum of a test in the blink of an eye, as we've once again seen his ashes.
1: So many lost and left behind, and no one seemed to care. Those who should seems like they're blind, pretending they're not there can't they see they hold the key could make things better if they try oh my jaja tell me why won't they open up their eyes
2: this is an episode about belief resilience mental strength and absolute passion for the game and one that if you live in the southern hemisphere hopefully keep your minds open will make you realize that stuart broad is not only a fantastic cricketer Stuart Broad is also a fantastic person. And before we get going, on the so-called Bazball, Ball, Stuart's description of how it makes him feel playing cricket got me thinking. This is the way our kids should play sport, for enjoyment, for fun, and without performance pressure hanging over their young heads. Enjoy the story of Stuart John Broad MBE, Ashes Legend
1: so when you search and then you find and know just where to go and thoughts that once used to cloud your mind you see clearly and now you know mystery what is to be revealed in king selassie I come on children try with me we want to reach mount Zion. I
2: well, this is a treat for me. Welcome to the Howie Games, a man that English cricket supporters love. And let's be honest, Australian cricket supporters, we would love to have him on our team. There's no doubt about it. He's taken nearly 600 test wickets and I'm pumped he's joining us on the Howie Games. Stuart Broad, Broadie, great to see you. Thanks for coming
0: on. How are you? Thanks for having me. Obviously, the Ashes is is right around the corner upon us and uh, two pretty exciting teams going head to head. There's so
2: much to talk about. Um... I must tell people to give them a bit of background. I was in India at the IPL and I sent you a message saying, mate, would you mind sending me your email? I've got you something uh, to ask you about. And you replied three hours later, said, mate, I've just come off the ground playing counting cricket. Sure. And you sent me your email. I emailed you with some of the guests we'd had on and you said you'd love to be involved. And I hope people get an understanding right from the start in Australia. This is the quality of the man we're dealing with. And I appreciate you coming on. I know, that Jimmy had come on and he said, Oh gee, I'm not sure about coming on an Australian podcast, but he's part <laughs> of the way. I'm, I'm really pumped to have you on mate, because you've done so much in the world of cricket. I'm fascinated by your journey.
0: Oh, thank you. no, I do appreciate you asking me to, to be a part of it. You know, it's, um, it, it, I've been going a long time, isn't it? I think longevity is probably a word that gets thrown at, at Jimmy and I quite a lot. Um, and, you know that doesn't it doesn't come through luck really longevity. You know it's it's something you need to have a, a huge amount of competitive spirit inside you. You need to be driven. You need to have peers around you that keep pushing you. And um, it's quite an exciting time for me to talk about cricket because I'm 36, turning 37, and arguably the best had the best year of my life in the in the last year. Um, and I don't know how many professionals can say that that actually the the back end of their career they they're approaching each day with such joy and. Baz and, and Stokes here are a huge part of that because of the style of how we they want us to play our cricket um, but for me to be turning up each day for training and playing just with no fear with no sort of consequences just just playing it like league cricket is uh, is exactly how I would how I would want to play at the end of my career
2: i'd like to follow your journey with, and i'll point out certain moments when it's been tough for you or when you've been under pressure or where you've looked like you are the man or certain performance you've had so i'd like to sort of talk mastery through with you. But you, you mentioned Brendan McCullum who's been on this show. So before Baz gets there, let's start right we'll, – we'll start with your journey in a minute. But you've won one of 17 tests prior to Brendan taking over. Since he's taken over, you've won 11 of 13 and you have made our job in Australia impossible because we have to stay up and watch England play cricket because you can't turn your blokes off because you are so entertaining, mate. My 11-year-old loved watching you play cricket because of what happens – what did he say when he first grabbed the squad together, uh, Brendan? What, what did he say that he was going to try and do to your team? And we're lucky that he's done it to world cricket for all of us.
0: Yeah, it, it, to be honest, it's not. Um, he never stood up and did a big presentation or a big speech or, or had a huge directive of how he wanted us to play. It wasn't like he said, right, lads, I want you to get out there and try and whack the ball every time. You know, it was <laughs> just. I think that happened quite organically. I think. Ultimately, we've got two leaders in charge now who are so authentic with how they want us to play the game because that's how they play the game. You know, Baz was a, a very fearless cricketer, certainly in his 30s. Um, the amount of times he just charged at bowl as him over extra cover, and that sort of thing. And Stokesy is the sort of leader that you know you follow everything he does, and and he a, uh, has been incredible in this year of showing the way forward. It might not mean that he scored huge and huge amounts of runs. And actually him getting caught mid-off sometimes is as powerful for the group as <laughs> as um, him getting a 100 because he's like, I'm the leader. I'm going to show you exactly how I want us to play. Um, so there was no huge like directive to start. But I think ultimately it was about building the confidence by trying to get rid of the fear of, of failure. And that is one of the hardest things to do in professional sport. The fear of failure is there at all times. It's, it's such a difficult thing. To, to try and remove um, and they've done it. They, honestly, it's, it, it, there is just, I've not heard them talk about the result once in a whole year. So never know. is it, we should have won that game. We, you know, wh- why we need to win this game or we got to make sure we can't lose this game. The result doesn't matter. It's all about entertaining and the process. So without question, the first role of our group is to entertain the people that are buying a ticket, listening on the radio, watching on the telly. Your job is to entertain. And that means you can do that. You can do that in eight balls. You can get 20 off eight balls, hit two massive sixes, come in and you'll get a tap on the back saying, God, oh, do you see the crowd there? Do you see the crowd jumping for joy? Wow. Instead of, you know, getting 100 and everyone would tap you on the back. So an example in our last Test match against Ireland, Popey was on 194. Um, and he charged down the wicket and whacked one for six over long on to bring his double hundred. I guarantee you, and obviously the change room ups, double hundred. I guarantee you he'd have got a bigger tap on the back coming to the change room if he'd have got out trying to hit a six. <laughs> I guarantee you. Wow. So they, they've sort of created this, um, this complete uh, lack of fear of failure. Like it, it, it doesn't matter if you get caught, they'd actually prefer you to get caught long on than out defending. So there's no sort of consequences as long as you're playing in the right way for the team. You know, as long as you're attacking, as long as you're taking the right processes that the group have put forward. Like, another example of the entertainment being the forefront of the mind. Um, at Trent Bridge last year, we are playing New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Pretty flat pitch, uh, pretty good for batting. New Zealand got 500 and then we're, we're going nicely. Popey and Ruti I think, 80 or 100s each. And I'm just thinking, right, well, I'm batting nine. What a lovely little moment to nip upstairs, grab a coffee. It's my home ground. I know where the chocolate digestives are. I'll grab some of them, <laughs> get upstairs, have a, little, have a little quiet half an hour and watch the cricket. So I get up there, sit down with my drink, start eating my chocolate biscuit and Baz walks in. I'm like, right, coach. He's like, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, good. He goes, do you want to get your pads on? What? Do you want to get your pads on and go in next? I was like, uh, uh, what, ahead of Johnny Bairstow, Ben Stokes, <laughs> ben F- like, why? And he goes, well, it's your home ground. The lads are batting beautifully, but just look around the crowd. They're just a little bit subdued. I'm thinking if you go in, try and hit your first ball for four, have a massive hack at the second, if you get out, there'll be a huge cheer and we've got the crowd going again.
2: Wow.
0: So I'm like... All right. Yep, yeah, can do. So then, suddenly, ten minutes later, I've got my pads on, sort of like whew, ready to go, with the only aim to hit my first ball for four. Then it doesn't matter. Um, but fortunately, Popey and Ruta kept going. The second new ball came, and they were like, "Oh, actually, Johnny can go now." But the, the mindset is, if you could give someone a cheer for thirty seconds, then you're you've done your role for the team in that day. So it means turning up each day is is so free because ultimately, I can hit one boundary and have a great day instead of needing to get 50 or 100.
2: What a wonderful way not just to play cricket but to play any sport. And I hope any child out there listening is understanding what Stuart's talking about because I'm sure, mate, if someone taught you this in the under-10s, the joy you would have had as you've gone through. Obviously, there's some tough times. Well, What about as a bowling group, though? Like We see the batsmen attack, attack, attack and going at five, six and over. Has the general been to change the way you bowled all, or just you and bloody
0: Jimmy are so good that just keep doing what you're doing? No, good question because um, it, it has been dominated by what the batters have done um, and seeing us chase 370 and 350 and, and it's just been spectacular but the mindset within the bowling has been quite important because ultimately we've got Jimmy and I are a combined age of 76 years old.
2: <laughs> we've sort of
0: like ingrained in what we do um, but we, with Bowlers, there's, there's loads of different ways to do it. And I listened to an interview with um, Scott Boland yesterday where he was talking about economy rate. His, his job is economy rate, economy rate, economy rate. Doesn't change his, what he does, his plan, and then hopefully he picks up wickets doing that. And I, to be honest, Jimmy and I have had that sort of mindset for a long part of our career. But what Stokesy wants from us is forget economy rate. He doesn't care about boundaries. He literally, like, they don't matter. His theory is whatever boundaries they the opposition hit will hit more it's about wickets at all times so if you're bowling to a plan that is thinking about getting wickets the whole time then you're succeeding so actually 10 overs 3 for 75 is more valuable to him because it's speeding the game up yeah than 10 overs none for 12
2: it must be a mind shift though yeah. it, it must be a mind oh. shift for you when you when you've been a professional operating a certain way for 15 20 years
0: 100% yeah of course and um like any bowl, I, I think you'll find it hard to find a bowler out there that can get hit through the covers for four and go, oh, I'm fine with that, I'm good with that. Because ultimately we've like not executed what we're trying to execute. Um, but, but it's the mindset that... So now if I, if I get hit for four through mid-wicket and I've like bowled a leg stump half-volley, instead of thinking, oh, I definitely need I'm going to put deep square back to try and cover that, it'd be more the mindset of, actually, get a short leg in. Because I shouldn't be bowling that ball. Need to hit the pitch harder and nip the ball back. So, you know, having attacking fields, whether it be four slips or gully, because it ultimately, say if Smudge gets 30 off 12 balls and gets out, that's our win. Yes. It, he, his, his batting plan is 150 off 320. So you'd argue the more gaps we can leave him, and then if he makes one mistake, we have a fielder in the right place. But, you know, we, we went from taking, barely taking 20 wickets in a Test match for a year to, out of the 13, I think we've done it 12 times, I yes. think, from memory. We only bowled once against Africa at Lords. but, um, you know, uh, and ultimately for the spinners, like leaving mid-on, mid-off up all the time. So if you get pin for six, okay, do it again. Pin for six. Okay, do it again. Oh, that's gone straight up. You know? So it's um it, it's a great it's a great little it's a it's a great little battle. You just have to sort of try and forget about economy rates if you can. Just just try and leave them just to the side.
2: It's getting me so excited for the ashes. And this will come out through the ashes, and hopefully at that stage you have already got a, a pile of wickets. Um your first mem- memory of the ashes, Stewie. I'll tell you mine, but I'd like to hear yours first. What's your first memory of the ashes it, we'll, we'll speak about your your, your family's rich he- heritage in the game but what do you first remember watching who was your hero early doors uh,
0: well I, as a kid I definitely, my dad played in the 86 87 ashes and uh, one man of the series so I do remember there was a video that came out in England called on top down under and I do remember watching that you know you had Richie Bennett doing the yep. presenting
2: the man of the match was Chris Broad for his 55 made in 96 balls the opening stand between Broad and at the 121, England have six points from four games. They have played one extra. You know,
0: I, I, Greg Matthews, I think, was playing, and yep. Bruce Reid, and yeah, you know, it was. I do remember watching um, watching a lot of that. So I, I, I built, you know, both them, Lammy, Gower, played with me old man. But I think for me, watching as a fan, uh, being old enough, I was very influenced by the Australian team because ultimately, as a kid, you you know you you like winning teams, don't you? You like Mm. watching. So my era of football fans, a lot of them are Man United fans because Sir Mm. Alex Ferguson. And for me, watching Warren McGrath, you know, through that sort of, when did Steve Wall tear his calf and was lying on the deck at the Oval? 2001 maybe? You know, those sort of ashes series are where I started to really like groove my, like desire to to be a part of playing them and interestingly like with my mindset it was never I never just wanted to play for England I never just wanted to play in Ashes Cricket I wanted to wanted to win I wanted to to create proper memories in that and I, I remember getting my test cap from Sir Ian Botham he presented it to me and it's you know you've got your number stitched on the back and it's so special to hold but I, I didn't ever even allow myself for a second to think ah oh, I've completed it. I've made it. I felt like I need to I need I need to like wear this a lot and I need to win a lot in this. Um and it, from that moment actually Matt Pryor was wicketkeeper in the in the group and after every series win we just doused a little bit of champagne on our test caps <laughs> and I've continued that all the way through winning because it's just it, ultimately a test cap yeah it's a cap that you wear when it's sunny but it it's a memory that that when you look at, you should think about all the great times in changing rooms. So yeah, I think um, I was very influenced by the Australian cricket team, like in the back garden, when I play with mates, I'd always have a tennis ball taped up with sellotape and swinging it around. I was always McGrath, Hayden, um, (laughs) trying to be Warney, you know, which sounds horrendous. Now I wear no see, see but... Brody,
2: this is why i I'll say in the intro, people are gonna fall in love with this man he's making a good early start by saying he was trying to be McGrath. And Hayden, it's funny you mention your dad. My first Ashes memory was A B, who I now sit beside in comedy. I can't can't believe it. And Tomo getting out to um Miller and Tavare and both them. But then I can clearly remember as a as a kid. There was this bloke that came out for England in eighty five, eighty six, with a Duncan Fern in all these cherries, and, and we couldn't get him out. And that was your doubt. I think he made four hundred plus runs, and he and he made three hundred. Yeah. So well, I, he's he, he's he's the first English cricketer that I can really identify. It's a cracking stroke from Chris Broad,
0: and that's the fifth Test century for Chris Broad, four of them against
2: Australia. So w- when you were coming through as a young cricketer, as a kid, as a 10 or 12-year-old, were you the, oh, that's Chris Broad's dad? W- did you get that as you went through?
0: Yeah, yeah, loads, loads. Um, ultimately, I um, part of my... Objectives of of having a player career is when I could change from being Chris Broad's son huh. to he could change to be Stuart Broad's dad.
2: How far do you reckon? Um, and I
0: reckon it took me. Oh, I was about twenty eight. I was about twenty eight. <laughs> took a bit of time. Um, but you know, you, you do deal with you do deal with a bit different pressures. You know, when your dad has played played for England, you sort of even when you're fourteen, fifteen, people think you should be good. <laughs> And ultimately I was okay, but I wasn't that great. You know, I I, I got left out the Leicestershire under sixteen setup. Um, I had a I had a really good I had a decent technique, but I wasn't a I, I was a small kid, so I couldn't hit it off the square very well. So you're a battery. Um, so at I that ultimately fact. didn't I was a batter, opening batter, yeah. Huh. So I um I just I just couldn't hit it off the square. So I got dropped from the uh, Leicestershire under sixteen setup. And felt a bit sort of flat about that. You know, I was I was a bit devastated, but I also enjoy playing other sports. And part of my well, my mum's philosophy was always play as many sports as you can, because then you'll figure out what you love, and you'll meet different people, and you'll see different different things. Um, and I got uh, I got a call up the following summer for Leicestershire under seventeens. They were just short against Derbyshire the night the night before. I was like, oh, are you available? I was like, I remember thinking like. Well, I am, but I'm not that bothered. And I turned up and I got 190. Wow. The bang. wow. So, I, and the, the academy director was watching. And uh, I played the next game We got 100. And then I got 100 for my league side on a Saturday. And bear in mind that I hadn't scored 100 prior to being 16 years old. And end of that summer, I got signed on the academy. Um, and two years later, I played for England. But ultimately it was I was signed as a batter for Leicestershire. I signed yeah. a professional contract as a as a batter who bowled maybe fourth Seamer. I went over to Australia in the winter as a seventeen seventeen, seventeen, eighteen year old. Played for a, a little side out in uh, Victoria called Hopper's Crossing. Um, you played for Hopper's out, Crossing? Yeah, out in so, Werribee.
2: So I live in a little place called yeah. Barwon Heads, which is past Geelong, which is yeah, – yeah. I, I drive to the MCG past Hopper's Crossing. So you were playing for Hopper's Crossing, Brody. This I didn't know. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> and I had a, I had a whole season there. Loved it. You know, training Tuesday, went, uh, Tuesday Thursday nights. Play on a Saturday. Yeah. Uh, open the batting, open the bowling, like proper tough um, – like men's cricket, bit of abuse here and there, you got to stand up to it, Um, beers after, um, and loved it. And I I literally came back to Leicestershire in the... Because in in England, we have these things where, as a kid, you could bowl five over spells and you had to stop. Mm. Whereas, I don't know if I was allowed to, but they just used to bowl me like 12 overs in a row. And it just, like, hardened my body to bowling. And I came back in that pre-season for Leicestershire as my first season as a professional and I was playing in the first team within six weeks just because I, I had a bit of a growth spurt. I was suddenly getting the ball to move, to bounce, and I was, I'd was I'd gone from being a schoolboy cricketer. Winter in Australia, I was a professional cricketer because I knew how to stand up to challenges. I knew how to like front up. I knew that I couldn't shrink uh, under, the, under the battle um, and didn't look back from there, really.
2: Imagine if you'd said no when the bloke rang you to say, oh, do you want to fill in tomorrow? Imagine how many more ashes Australia
0: could have won if you just said (laughs) that. Just said, no, no, I'm all right.
2: (laughs) Next up on the show, one of the most successful AFL players of his generation, a man that played with courage, led with actions and won with grace. His name, Joel Selwood.
1: Gives it off to Selwood, the future of Geelong is on display tonight. The
0: first gamer to the second gamer, and Joel Selwood. The captain breaks out of the middle, has a bounce, can he go all the way home? Oh! The Guthrie comes away. And the kick is good. Here's McLean. Selwood takes a
2: magnificent mark. Selwood. Be great to see him kick a goal. Selwood on the check side. All hail Joel Selwood. It's coming home. Back where it belongs. That is Joel Selwood next up on the podcast. Let's get back to Brody. Mate, I've written it down here. So the first time you play for England... ...is the uh, 28th of August 2006.
1: Broad, full of length.
0: And gone. Full of length and straight enough. First wicket for Broad for England. Short ball down the leg side. Nick, is it? Yes, it is. Broad's on a hat-trick.
1: Two in two. Caught
2: against Pakistan. You took two for 35. You're on a hat-trick, mind you. In fact, you nearly mm. got your hat-trick and just dropped short of
0: KP. It's high in the air. Field is going back desperately. He's safe. Smacked it way up into the air of 3 Hat-trick ball, who cares? He won't even block one
2: ball. If you today are as 100% of what you are now as a bowler, Back in two thousand and six, what percent were you of where you've got to now?
0: Oh no, I knew nothing. Really? I just I just held the seam straight yep. and ran in and tried to bowl length.
2: Right. Well it That's
0: worked. You are an actor. <laughs> well it worked for a bit. It worked for a bit, but I had no I had no I had no white ball skills. You know, I I think um I'd, I think I'd only played one fifty over game before I played an ODI for England. Yeah. And I remember, so my my job for Leicestershire and the T20 stuff, obviously the game's changed a little bit now, but my job was to bowl four overs up top, hit the pitch hard. And uh, I think I went through a whole blast campaign with an economy rate of like 4.5 or something. So like really low. Got some good players out, Flem, Dave Hussey. So I sort of got on the England radar a little bit by doing that. But ultimately I was only doing one thing. I was holding the seam straight, whacking the pitch hard, not giving, not trying to swing it, just, just trying to hit. So the first time I had to bowl a, like a Yorker at the death, or the first time I bowled at the death was playing for England, which is mad, really. It's like, I, I just had no sort of um, major experience of that, but I wouldn't change it for a thing because ultimately at nineteen twenty, I was playing against, you know, Shada Freedy, uh, Eunice Khan, like, and... the the, the pace you learn is ridiculous at that level because there's just every day you have to be right at the top of your game and you have to be nailing everything so it means your training becomes more um, intense it means you have to work on variations a lot more yeah
2: so you're a young fella you're just as you say seam up you come up against your Singh in 2007 Mm. he hits you for six sixes in an over and here goes Brad
1: Last ball of the innings, and he's put it away. Yes, into the crowd. Six sixes and an over. Yuvraj Singh finishes things off in style. The first time it's happened in 2020. Still one order to go.
2: Well, you looked about 12, to be honest, Brody. You got you had, I don't know anything you had a shave. You looked so young. What are your memories of that in relation to, as I say, we follow the journey through to where you've got to what are your memories as a young man walking off the ground that night? You've been hit for six sixes. I, I imagine it was a massive dent to everything you're about as a cricketer. I, I don't know, as a person, it must have been tough.
0: Yeah, I. Do you know? I I I probably didn't let it really properly sink in. I think I think oh. a couple of things that I I worked with me on that is. That was it. It was a dead rubber of a game. We were already out, so I didn't walk off thinking I'd cost my country a World Cup or anything. So I think that was quite an important thing. At what was I nineteen twenty, probably twenty. Um, we went straight to an ODI series in Sri Lanka, so I was back on the horse, so to speak. I was bowling, and actually, I remember seeing sitting with the coach and going, "I need, I need like some variations because I just I tried to bowl only yorkers and." Didn't execute them at all, and um, and got and got belted. And so I, I decided I need a leg cutter, I need an off cutter, I need some variations. And and ultimately, what it taught me was, I have to find a routine that makes me feel comfortable under pressure. And and I look back at that game. We were a second game on um, on the ground that day. So I think South Korea played someone before us. They were a bit slow with their overheads. So it was like bang. No, no real time to warm up. The toss is happening straight away. You know, sometimes in those T Twenty World Cups, it all, it's all like yeah. it's all pretty quick, and it's the only time in my whole career i never I didn't mark my run up that end because I, I started the other end. I didn't have time to mark my run up out that end. So that over, I came in. I had to like stride my run up out. So I had no routine. I was suddenly marking my run up before not even thinking about mm. bowling. So uh, I think I never done that again. I, th- I suppose it, it taught me to survive at this level, you can't just float into games. You can't just, you can't just cruise in and think you'll be okay because ultimately you won't. And um, I started putting mental routines in. I started putting physical routines in to make sure that, actually Jeremy Snape said a great thing to me at the time. He said, just remember as a bowler, the game can't start until you're ready. And it's true. And if I don't run up, no one's watching any cricket. So, make sure you're good make sure you're ready and then go and deliver and I wasn't ready then and I, I didn't think throughout the whole over no stage did anyone come up to me really and go no. <laughs> what about this what about that it was just float through oh it'll be alright bang fine bang um, but post then I've never watched it never watched it at all
2: have you not
0: even if it comes on no nah, even if it comes on so in India it'll come on the TV a bit just flick over. Doesn't so I have no emotional connection to it because I just thought I know what I can learn from that. I don't need to watch it again to feel what I can learn from it. Um, move on and improve. And I wouldn't. I, I definitely wouldn't be on that part of saying if it didn't happen to me, I wouldn't be where I am now. I would have preferred it not to. Mm. But I think ultimately, because the game was um, a dead rubber. I knew I didn't execute any plan or have any plan. And it said, for this level, you've got to go in that direction pretty quickly. I, I sort of didn't look back from it. And um, there, there's definitely times where I like, won the T20 World Cup in 2010 against the Aussies at uh, Barbados. And that was a bit of a, OK, cool. Like, I've obviously had a nightmare in a T20 World Cup. I've now got a winner's medal. I'm pretty good with that. That will do nicely. Through midwicket, England charge onto the field. Paul Collingwood and his team have won the World 2020 men's final. Great scenes for England. They've been awesome in this tournament. So there's certain things that have like helped sort of tick that off, but ultimately now <laughs> i'm that old i can't really remember
1: it
2: <laughs> <laughs> well i won't I send you a link we might whack a bit of it in the podcast but you'll never have to watch it again so you mentioned a couple of things there Brody. before we move on to the fiber you're talking about you mentioned a couple of things that y- you learned about the physical requirements and mental requirements let's get to physical later about longevity but now say this, ashes say things are going against england say things are going against you what are you doing mentally to get yourself right to go that you couldn't maybe do back then in two thousand and seven, but you can do in twenty twenty three? So take us in your mind because it's such a big part of modern sport, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of my big things is um, a very dangerous place to be as a as an international cricketer. We stay in a lot of hotels. You're away a lot. Yeah. At the end of a day's play, just sitting on your own in a hotel room, you, there's no way you can get your mind off what's happening the next day no way and I've tried many times you know particularly sort of the COVID trips to India and things like that that you are just in Um, and it, it sort of you're tired when you turn up the next day if that makes any sense because you've thought what if I bowl there? What should I do with my first ball? You know, what, or, or you're reflecting on what you did that day. Why did I drop that catch? Oh, I shouldn't have played that shot. So emotionally, you, you've you just wound your brain up to a place that it can't then relax and, and perform. So I make sure that, you know, I I try and go out for dinner if I can with a few of the guys or Molly if she's around. Uh, if I don't do that, I make sure I think nothing of the cricket. I try and never watch it on the telly. I try not to watch the highlights, put a film on or something to just make sure that I've got my brain away from cricket in that night because then when I get on the team bus in the morning, I'm good to go. I'm fresh. I'm ready for it. Uh, something I've done in the past sort of year, really, I write little notes in the morning um, just of how I want myself to operate in that day. And it's never, oh, I I want to take five wickets or I want to take wickets. or It's very much um, make sure you're competitive, uh, you're at your competitive best. Make sure... Uh, very much like feelings of of what I want to try and put in place. Make sure you're smiling more more often than not. Remember, it's just for fun. Yeah, you know, it's those sort of things that um, I try and live by through that day. Or if I feel knackered or like, you know, if if a team's 300 for two and you wake up and you know you've got another 25 overs to bowl, very much like be positive when you first get into the changing room. You know, smile. Say what a great day you're having. How good's the coffee? You know, little things like that because... I ultimately, I know now, if I walk into a changing room and I go, Jimmy, I'm knackered. I'm so tired. Well, even if he feels great, he's going to be 10% more tired now.
2: Yeah, of course. So,
0: uh, only the the past year, I've sort of really gathered a bit of that sort of process for me. And I just, I'm not naturally a very, very positive person. I'm not naturally like, whoa, what a day. Yeah, beautiful, blue sky. You know, (laughs) but but part of Baz's, part of Buzz's sort of group feeling for us is he wants us to open the curtains every morning, like you did when you were 12. You know, for Saturday morning, you open the curtains, blue sky, you'd be buzzing because yes. cricket's on. Ultimately, and it's bad to say, but there's the certain times as a professional when you open the curtains and it's raining and you're a bit like, mm, yeah, I'll take that. I'm pretty happy with that. We're trying to get, and getting back to a place where you open the, the curtains and you're like, yeah, what a great day to play cricket because we're there to, you know, grow the game and entertain so part of that needs a bit of help from me on my iPad just you know make sure that you're up you're you're busy you're happy um and only not every day obviously but I just try and write two or three things for me to live by in that day um and it's really helped
2: was was there any notes made today about how you're going to approach the Howie Games interview or you didn't get notes out for that one Brody?
0: No, I didn't get my notes out for that. I'll, I'll uh, but I'll, uh, but I'll, uh, I think I'm pretty smiley. Pretty you are, happy. you are, you're this smiling. Is this you're is positive. good for me at 10 a.m. No, you're killing it, mate. You mentioned uh, the Ashes
2: 2009, 1 1 going into the Oval. You make 37.29, you get five for 37 and one for 71. So that's, I, that's my first memory is, oh, wow, this Stuart Broad, he's a bloody gun, this fella. What does belief do to a young and upcoming athlete that, yes, I can perform at this level?
0: Like, after you
2: do that and you, you leave the ground that day, what impact does that have on you?
0: Honestly, it took me till then to think, I, c- I can do this, I can do this at this top level.
1: That's out, don't worry about that.
0: That's
2: a full length delivery and Broad's got five for, for England. My goodness me, the crowd are up. Australia in total disarray.
0: It's just the sort of thing that Glenn McGrath used to do in one session of play. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely remember one um, mm. moment the day after that Pfeiffer, I was walking down the steps at the Oval to go and warm up, and people were asking me to sign the front page of the paper, <laughs> which I'd never been on the front page before. And I was like, <laughs> wow, like, that's different. Like that, That's, uh, you know, that, people have, have enjoyed this spell. But... I think I learned so much from that series. Honestly, I, I, playing against Australia and some of the greats of Australia with that team, we're talking like Ponting, Hussey, Clark was yeah. in it. Um, Watto was playing. You know, it was it was um, before Cardiff. Before Cardiff, the first Test match, my nerves were off the scale. I, I just. I remember I did exactly what I wouldn't do now. I sat in in the hotel the day before, thinking, hydrate, you know, rest, get my feet up. This is before your first Ashes test. Yeah, in nine, and all I did was spiral, 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 <laughs> and ultimately, I do remember turning up on day one thinking, "God, I'm actually quite tired." <laughs> um, <laughs> so I try, I try now and get out and play golf or something, just so I'm not thinking about cricket at all. But I, I, I obviously had watched Australian cricket play and was quite influenced by them, but the like. It's the right word to say. Almost like the ferociousness of their intensity, like Ponting's intensity, surprised me. I was sort of half expecting to like walk on the ground and be like, "Hey, up, Ricky," uh, <laughs> but it was just he was just like zoned. At hey, all up, times, Ricky! You know. I'm
2: not sure you're getting. Hey, uh, up,
0: Ricky! Ricky. <laughs> yeah. Hey, up, hey, Ricky! How are we getting on, mate? Big fan, big fan. Um But. But, um, yeah, they, they, probably, they probably shocked me. And a few of the guys that hadn't played much before with their, with, their, with their steeliness, with their, like, drive and their, like, no niceties. It was, we're warriors, we're here to play and we're here to beat you. Um, and fortunately, we, we had some key players stand up at some good times in that. But I think for me, getting that FIFA in what was a, a pretty vital day, you know, there was 70-odd for none, I think, and I picked up five in a spell. I did walk off and think, I can do this. And, and ultimately, I, if you can do it under the most pressure, last Ashes Test at 1-1, or I think it was 1-1, uh, when the game's on the line and bowl a spell that bowls, it did, it, I didn't get 9-10-11. You know, I got Watto, Ponting, Clark, Hussey, Haddon. I walked off going, if I can do that now... There's, there's no level that can stop me. I can, I've, I grew my belief that uh, I can go and do it. And then ultimately I did. I, I got, um, when the series was on the line in 13 at Durham, I got 10 for. Five for 26 and he's changed the course of this match. In the, fi- the series on the line in 15, I got the eight for at Trent Bridge. It's been a special day. And he's got eight for 15, 9.3 overs, destroyed
2: Australia, the Ashes are won. It's as simple as that. And Australia
0: all out 60. Unbelievable cricket, but wonderful. So I've, I've sort of, I feel like it's given me confidence when, when, when the momentum is changing in the series, when the game's on the line. I've always known that to be honest. If I if I play a pre-season game, I I wouldn't be I wouldn't be on your team sheet necessarily. I, there's just something that doesn't bring in that sort of real vibe I need. And maybe that, looking back to the UV thing, knowing it was a dead rubber, ultimately did I, was I quite on it? No. But if you put me in a, later in the series, knowing that we need a win or something, I'll get the job done. That is the end of Stuart Broad,
2: part A. So much, so much more coming in part B.